Well, good to be with you. How are you? Doing well? It's a great weekend for us. We're in a really kind of a thrilling moment as uh, two churches are, are blending. And, and last night we finished our last service in this room. And it was just a, a, a great thing because it's not a funeral. It's really a, a party. God, I think, is doing something very exciting and, and inviting us to join Him in something that's even bigger than our community right now. And so we're, we're really excited. We hope you get a sense of that as you're, you're part of this journey with us. Let's pick up our conversation that we've been in with this series, Tongue Pierced. And what we're recognizing is something that we lose sight of very easily, particularly when we're, we're pretty emotional. And that is that our words matter. <clears throat> They're very rarely are they neutral. In fact, uh, our words kind of create our future. They inform how we think. They, they shape our faith. They are very, very powerful. So to help us kind of illustrate this point, I, I want you to participate with me, all right? You're going you're gonna to remember this. Your, your grandmother probably said this to you. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words will never hurt me. Whoever said that lied. They lied. Because some of us in this room, we have the emotional scars to prove it, don't we? For some of us in this room, it's because of our words that we have some of our greatest regrets come around the things that we've said. For some of us, uh, our words or the words that someone spoke to us or the words that someone didn't say to us have led us to spend lots of money with a professional counselor trying to unpack the impact of the words that have been said to us. Now, This isn't just a human phenomenon. This is rooted in the ideas that the Bible speaks to specifically. This is one of the reasons why I would really encourage you to be reading Scripture. You don't even need to believe in what the writers are saying to benefit from it. I believe it's true. I believe the Word of God is very accurate and inspired from God. But I'm just encouraging you to engage Scripture wherever you are in your understanding of who God is. Because you're going to benefit from it. You're going to benefit from it. We're going we're to prove that today by looking at a letter from the, from the writer James. This is Jesus' half-brother. And for most of his interactions with his brother, he had that sibling thing going on. He didn't believe who Jesus said he was until later in his life. But he writes one of the most powerful letters in the New Testament. And his, his warning or the theme of his letter is simple. It's that your faith should show up in your deeds. If you believe it, show me it. That's, that's James. And then in chapter 3, he says, hey, if you're a person of faith, in other words, you've placed your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, you believe who he said he was, that he's the Son of God, if you say, I am a Christ follower, then it should show up in how you speak. It should show up in how you speak. So that's what we'll walk through a little bit today. This is James chapter 3. If you brought your Bibles, turn to that. Otherwise, if you didn't, no problem. We'll have it on the screen. We're just going to kind of walk through a series of texts, and then we'll unpack it, and we'll make some application points. This is James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So James just acknowledges something that we all know in this room. We all blow it. We do. We just we blow it in lots of different ways. We all stumble at something. But he says, but if you want to you understand what maturity is, 
It's the, it's the, it's the person that can self-regulate. It's the person that can keep themselves in control. And then his, his example of what that is is in their speech. They are a person that are just not firing off that email, just saying what they feel. They know how to control their thoughts and their feelings and their words. And James says a person who can do that has almost achieved perfection. And then he goes on to talk about just sort of the power of the tongue and how, and how it steers and guides your entire life. This is, again, pick this back up. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal to which everybody go, yep, yep, I, I've seen that happen. Or think about a ship, he says. Take ships as an example, verse 4. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. And then he says this, Likewise, so just like those little things, the tongue is a small part of your body, but it makes great boast. It's very powerful. It steers your entire life. I made a list of some of the ways that our tongue has shaped our life. Words have gotten us our jobs. You're hired. Words have caused us to lose our jobs. You're fired. Our words have, have gotten us married. We've used our words to strengthen friendships. Our words have gotten us out of trouble. Just a little show of honesty. Anybody ever talked their way out of a speeding ticket? Yeah, way to go. I did. It's all right, you'd be proud on that one. Our words have gotten us into trouble. Anybody gotten a speeding ticket? It didn't matter what you said? Yeah. Our words have caused us to lose friends. Words can be powerful enough to end a marriage. James says this little thing is powerful. It is so powerful. It steers everything. And the sooner we learn how to manage this, the sooner we can become the man and the woman that God designed us to be. But if you can't manage this, you will never be who God wanted you to be. You can know lots of information. You can be really religious. You can impress people in a lot of different ways. But the bottom line is if you cannot regulate your words... James says you are not the healthy person that God desires you to be. And then James just kind of begins to pick speed up here on the power of this tongue. And I was, I was thinking a little bit back to a, an experience. It was not a, one of my proudest dad moments, but uh, I was with my family. We went to Trader's World. Anybody been to Trader's World? Oh, it's a slice of Americana. You've got to get to Trader's World. You can get anything. Probably half of it's not legal and, you know, it's been made somewhere else, but that's okay. But we go around my family, and my wife uh, kind of peels off with my daughter, Grace. I have a, a daughter, Grace, and a son named uh, Owen. And at this time, he's about nine years old. And so my wife peels off and says, hey, i got to take care of Grace. He'll be back here and meet you in a little bit. I said, great. So we're standing there, and we're at a knife booth. Yeah, you know, you know where this is going, right? And my son's like, Daddy, I'd like a knife. Well, I'm, I'm a great dad, so I said, sure, let's pick out a knife. Yeah, yeah, all the moms are laughing. All the guys are like, well, I don't know what the problem is. What's the problem? 
It'll, it'll, you'll, you'll see. So I buy him like a little $10 pocket knife. He picks it up. He opens it up and he slices his finger. Like, like two seconds. He's <laughs> and I'm like, ah! Oh! He's like a stuck pig. We're in the middle of this thing. He's bleeding. My wife looks up and man, she's just got that look. She does. She's got that look like, I'm going to take that knife from Owen and I'm going to stab you with that knife. I, I promise you, my son goes, Daddy, why'd you buy this knife for me? He totally backs the bus over me right in front of my wife. But, and the woman's selling me. I'm like, seriously, why didn't you tell me? I was like, just so confused. But kind of every adult in that moment except me said, really? Really, Andy? You thought it was wise just for a nine-year-old to just have a knife? And looking back now, I realize that probably wasn't the best moment. James is saying, really? You think you just want to have a tongue and just say whatever you want to say and kind of fire off? Really? You can't. You can't. It just, it, it just breaks everything down. Look at, look at what he, he, he kind of ratches up the intention here in verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. I mean, this guy is fired up. He is really pushing it. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now, what's going on is James is raising sort of the theological reality that sin has corrupted everything. That it has just taken the, the things that God has designed and polluted them and corrupted them, including the pilot light of your mouth. That apart from the grace and the intervention of God, evil is the only thing we can speak. Because it will be the thing that we speak most often. We need God's direct intervention to come into that, to correct that and corral that. In August of 2010, there was a golfer that set out one day to go play golf at a little course in Irvine, California. It's a true story. And uh, he got in the rough and he took out his club like he would normally do. And he set it down in the rough. And when he swung, he struck some impediments in the ground, some rocks, they think. And it created a spark. And the spark created a fire. And a few moments later, they couldn't put the fire out, and wouldn't you know, in just a few hours, 25 acres had burned, and it caused 150 firefighters to come in to put this out. And I started thinking about that. That golf guy had no idea about the conditions that he was in and how primed they were for something very destructive to happen. And that's true of life, isn't it? You come home... You say something unkind to someone in your family, and it sparks an emotional and verbal fire that burns for hours. You're hurt. You're offended. So you send that email. You post on Facebook your thoughts, and your words spark something, and misunderstandings go throughout the community. Christians are really good at this one. You're in a small group. You're offended. Someone has hurt you. And so in a loving, 
community, you want to share your prayer request. Now, the problem in sharing your prayer request is that the person you're sharing about doesn't happen to be there to offer their side of the experience. But that's okay because we all love them and we're just going to talk about them in a matter of concern. You see where this is going, right? And before you know it, you've kind of burned a negative impression in everybody's mind. Now, the Bible calls that gossip. But we, would, we, don't, we don't like that. We know that one's wrong. So we call that, no, 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 no. I'm just venting. I'm just sharing my, my, my frustration with people that I trust. And James says, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And if we're serious about our faith, we have to be serious about this, this tongue. There's a responsibility to it. And mature people take ownership of that responsibility. James just is making this point. There's just no limit to the destruction words have. Look at this. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. Now, he's illustrating something within culture at that point that if they were going to at war with someone, if they were at war with another village, they would take a chariot and they would light the uh, wheels of the chariot on fire and then they would push it off and they would let it roll into the village and know wherever that wheel would roll, it would start a fire. So James is just saying that's how our words happen. They just kind of go everywhere and they start to burn and they can burn people that we don't even know. Here's the example. You can leave here today and burn down your entire family with your words. We can burn down what God's doing in this merge with our words. We can burn one another down. We can burn this church down by just a few statements on Facebook. That's how powerful this is. This is how powerful it is. But we really, if we're really honest, we really don't need a lot of examples of rudders and horses bits and forest fires and uh, golfers because we have our own stories. We have our own examples. I mean, some of us could say, you know, Andy, I can tell a story about how I burned down a marriage by my words. Some of us could say, you know, Andy, I could tell, a, I could tell you a story about how my words drove my children away from me, and now they'll have nothing to do with me. Andy, I can tell you how my words caused me to lose my last job. I can tell you, Andy, how my words uh, hurt someone so deeply that now they're in therapy, or I'm in therapy over the words because I feel like I was verbally abused. See, sticks and stones may hurt, but words hurt more. They always do. And as somebody who works with people in pretty intense conversations, it's amazing how often we come back to the words that have been spoken and that we've agreed to, or the words we long to hear, and they were withheld from us. In fact, I think if, if we had like a kind of spiritual night vision, and we could just somehow 
look around this room and see spiritually at some level one another, you know what I think we'd see? We'd see everybody in this room, including me on this stage, you'd see the burn marks of the words that have been spoken. We'd just look around this room, we'd start to see, oh my gosh, look at that, look at this person, look at the wounds. And we might actually, that compassion and the sensitivity to how we speak to one another and how we exchange thoughts and how we so quickly come to uh, conclusions about one another's character, we might be more reticent to do that. If we could really start to see the hurt and the deep wounds that have been inflicted on us. And James just says, it is so much more serious, though, than just learning to be nice to each other. He says that it really, there's something much more deeper happening, that our words actually reflect the condition of our hearts. If you want to understand the condition of your soul, the condition of your faith, you can just look right at how you speak to one another. Look at this in James chapter 3. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by human beings. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now what he's not saying is, hey, you know, that shouldn't be. He's saying, no, 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 it, that can't be. Like that can't, it, that, that can't happen. You cannot say, I love you, God. And then I hate who you've created. James says it just doesn't work that way. In God's economy, it doesn't work that way. It might work in the economy of man. And it might be how you interact on Facebook and how we interact in small groups and how we interact in communities and how we interact in our neighbors with our neighbors and how we interact with people that we work with. But in God's economy, it's love God and love people. And, that, and James is just echoing what his brother taught. Look at this. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? To which his audience would go, no, it's not possible. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grape bear figs? People would say no. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's just basically saying, if you're a person that blesses God while you curse other people, he says basically one is canceling out the other. One is canceling out the other, and something is happening more than just with your words. Your heart is sick. And ah, oh, that's where it gets tough, doesn't it? This is where James's words have this sense of gravity to them. And we start to get troubled by what he says. But again, he's just pointing back to what his brother Jesus taught. Because look what he said, what, what he references, and probably everybody around him who heard Jesus' teaching is remembering this time when Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up there in their hearts, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil that is stored in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, what happens? What happens? 
the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. See, when I get tired and I get angry and I get, you know, my patience runs thin, ugliness comes out of this and it, com- and it comes out of my mouth. Because I, I, I know the condition of my heart sometimes. And, and perhaps you could recognize that in your own story as well. Because here's, here's what I think might be happening in this room right now. I suspect some of us are sitting next to someone and they're praying for you right now that you're hearing this. You're getting this. Because they're a burn victim. Your children are a burn victim. And they're praying that you just don't dismiss this guy up on stage and go in the car and just say, ah, he's a knucklehead, he doesn't know, blah, 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 blah. And look at him wearing that silly purple shirt. But you're, you're like, they're going, please, please. For some of us, <clears throat> there are people in our lives and they're confused by us. We, we profess something sometimes with our words and they're like this fresh water. And then we can turn right around and, our, and, our, and our, the words of our mouth are difficult and unpleasing and unpleasant to hear. They're salt water. And, and while we mu- like to say, you know what, I didn't mean it. Hey, I didn't mean it. You know what, I, hey, I was just speaking truth. I was just speaking truth. You know what, my family, we come from a bunch of yellers. This is just how my family likes to fight. And then we know what we do. We're good. No, you're not. James says, no, you're not. It's not possible. Because words do hurt. And words reflect the condition of your soul. And while I like to excuse my words, James says, a mature person takes accountability for their words. And then you know what James does? He moves on. He just kind of leaves us and he goes, okay, next thought. And you're kind of like, come on, James, come on, let's fix this. He's like, no, I just want you to leave and be aware of it. So let me give you a couple thoughts to leave with, because really our goal here at Four Corners is that we leave with actions, Matthew said it, that we want to leave with a plan. So these are my, my thoughts. These are certainly not James. I'm kind of interjecting into the experience. So you take these or you can dismiss these. It's, it's up to you. But let me give you three ideas. If you'd like to take notes, you might want to write these down. They're going to be pretty obvious. You probably have your own suggestions. Here's the first. Just think before you speak. James would say this in the beginning of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Here's the thing. Our quickest reaction should be, I just need to listen. And by listening, I think we just give room to adjust and learn when we don't understand all the facts. We don't understand the story. We don't understand the burns. We don't understand what's happening. We don't understand why that decision's been made. Perhaps what we should do is listen and gather information. Next, own our own words. 
This is just where, you know what we do? We just take responsibility for the fires that we've started. Isn't it like Yogi Bear or Smokey Bear says, you're the only person that can put out forest fire. I don't know if that's how he sounds. I don't know why. I think that's Yoda. I'm getting like my characters mixed up here, right? But you know what I'm saying, right? He's like somebody saying, you're the one. And James is saying, come on, man, come on. Hey, Christian, it's not your family's fault. Quit blaming. You're the one that can fix it. Own it. Own your words, man. Own your words. And when you blow it, come up and don't say, you know what? Hey, you know what? I, would, I wouldn't have said that if you wouldn't have. Just say, you know what? I lied to you. Hey, you know what? I gossiped. Or, you know what? I blew it there. And I'm asking you, I hope you'll find it. You'll find room to forgive me. That was not a good moment. And I should have used my words differently. Just own your words. You know what will happen in our communities and in our small groups and in our church and in our work environments and in our homes if we, if we work more on ownership than on blame? Wow. Wow. How much stronger we'll get? Lastly, ask God for a new heart. James is saying the only way to get control of your tongue is to let Jesus have control of your heart. The only way that that happens is you say, God, I surrender my heart to you. And then, Holy Spirit, you act like the bit. And every time I speak, I want you to steer me. Because I know, apart from the work of God, and, and, and left to my own devices, I know where I will go. I will light a chariot on fire. That's my inclination. And so I'm going to walk with a level of sensitivity and an awareness that I need God in this moment to lead me. So, think before you speak. Own your own words. No more excuses. And invite God to forgive us and do a profound work. Let's take out our connect cards. We're going to make some action steps. And I'm going to help just kind of identify a few things the first really is just an acknowledgement of a decision to say, Jesus, come in, forgive my life, and lead my life. I want you to save me. If you've never made that decision today, then your prayer today can be, come, Jesus, forgive me and lead my life. If you're making that decision, just check that box. That's A. The second is then say, you know what, God? I want to follow that up, or I've never been baptized. So today, I'm acknowledging I want to be baptized. There's something profound that happens in that experience. That is not a saving experience, but it is a reflection of the decision that you've made. And so in doing that, you're identifying with Jesus. We're going to be having baptisms at any service on Easter. It's going to be just a great party would love for you to do that check that box if you'd like to be baptized and someone will follow up with you then lastly as pastors Ben talk about we have a lot of services on Easter we want to give you an opportunity to create space for your friends to come we expect these rooms to be full so if you already know where you will be coming and you have a sense of how many people you'll be bringing you can check 
see for eight o'clock and say, I think I'm going to be taking three fit people. I'm going to have my family with me. I'm thinking of a friend. I'm inviting X amount of people. So just choose eight o'clock for number C, or you can go D will be the next service. I'm going to do 10 o'clock or the last service. I'm reserving X amount of seats for the noon. We just, we want to really create a welcoming environment for you and your family and your friends. So would you just help us by communicating back to that? So as you're checking one of those boxes, how about I pray for us? We'll conclude some with just a song of worship. And then we'll leave here today uh, inviting the leadership of God to really show up, not just in what we think, but in what we say. Let's pray. God, I, I choose to go first and say I, I just ask forgiveness for the the times that I've mishandled my words. Today, I, I, rep- I confess that. I, I confess that there is just a, a, a short-sightedness sometimes in my actions. And I'm praying and, and seeking your forgiveness and the leadership of your Holy Spirit. I'm praying for my friends who today have checked that first box and have Acknowledge they, they want to move from a, a, a being separate from you to being connected with you. I pray blessings on that decision. I pray you just nurture that relationship. And we give you, God, Easter in, in, the, in the space we're creating. We want to honor you with that weekend. We want to see our, our friends meet you in profound ways. So I pray that even over these next 10 days, our words would matter and we would be inviters. We would, we would share the good news with those that need this news. So we take these invite cards and we pray that you, you just dial us up to what you're doing. Let us be really sensitive this week to the opportunities of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.